0: FIA welcomes you to the Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here's your host, Ann Chiappetta. Hello and welcome to Art Parlor,
1: brought to you by friends in art a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Art Parlor is a place where visually impaired artists and audience members thrive. Tonight's guest describes his life as a journey of a visually impaired entrepreneur. Fitzville G. Martin, also known as Son of the Village, is a well-known and respected recording engineer, producer, recording artist, and the founder of Willpower Entertainment. Join me in welcoming Fitz to the show. Hey, Fitz, how are you?
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy. It's my pleasure to be here. I am so happy that there is an art parlor, like <laughs> something like this. It gives me joy to know that this exists.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad that we connected. I read your bio, and uh, I, I'm just fascinated by it because, you know, you're a child of the islands. You came over here um, to another island called Manhattan yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you made your place. And I'm really excited to share how you did that with the people that are listening tonight. If you could take us like uh, you said you 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 started your education here and you went to the Lavelle School. Um, and, you know, what was that like for you? You know, you uh, yeah,
2: uh, you well, have any fond memories or anything like that? I'd love to hear about them. Oh, most definitely. Um, Lavelle, it was so happy to know that I'm going to a school where other people had the same issues like me. And you know, I wasn't going to stand out, you know, just being the only visually impaired kid in the school, you know, where the fingers are being pointed at. So when I went to school, there was other kids just like me who had vision, you know, wasn't totally blind. Some was totally blind and those that operated as normal kids, like, you know, we went outside and, you know, we had the same issues like kids in the neighborhood. So Lavelle really, you know, gave me a world where I can like shine as myself, where I wasn't going to be just the you know, the visually impaired kid.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that completely because it does feel like that sometimes.
2: Yes, definitely. Yeah. When you, when you know, when you're in so-called sighted communities where you know you're the only one with the visually impaired you don't always want to stick out like you know okay there goes the blind guy or there goes you know the visually impaired guy he has to use a cane and you know it was a world of where we all had the same issues so no one stuck out
1: mm. um, and tell me tell me about your family
2: so my my mom have five kids three boys and and two girls i'm right in the middle i'm the first you're boy in the
0: middle
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. yeah right in the middle so I got two older sisters and two younger brothers you know and as you say you you are your brother's keeper you are your sister's keeper we all bond together because you know we was the first generation here we was you know we Mm. didn't have uncles here you know it was just me and my brothers and sisters so we all tight we tighten it are
1: you are you the only one who's usually impaired in your family yes okay
0: Mm
2: -hmm. so with that you know being said like they all helped me out to be normal. Like, you know, my brother, like, you know, growing up in the neighborhood, I would pedal the bike and my brother would steer. So nobody really knew I had a vision problem. Everybody thought Uh I was riding the
0: bike. Right.
2: (laughs) So I'll come through, you know, everybody. Oh, it's hard to tell a lot of people in the neighborhood that I really have a vision problem because I operated so much as a normal kid. Right. And find ways to get around the obstacles.
1: So your your brothers and sisters, they helped you just... Um, just, you know, do whatever they were doing? Yes. Yeah. mm -hmm.
2: Whatever they were doing. And, and, you know, if I can't see it, they'll find a way to describe it to me or, you know. Sure. Are you a Braille reader? Yes, I am. Since second grade.
1: Since second grade. Good for you.
2: A very good Braille reader. Um, Oh, go uh,
1: ahead.
2: Now I'm saying I have my trusty note taker, the Polaris.
1: Oh, you have a Polaris? Yes, yeah. sir, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, w- oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, what was it like learning how to read Braille when you were a kid? When,
2: when I was learning how to read Braille, it was just, you know, mandatory. It wasn't something, you know, I had a choice. I still had, because I'm legally blind. I'm totally blind. So, over, y- over the years, my sight deteriorated. Right? But mm-hmm. yeah. When I was reading, you know, learning how to read Braille, I still could read print. So it wasn't that hard, you know, for me making that transition. Plus, I had other cool kids. You know, I went to a boarding school in Jamaica where, you know, there was older kids and they were right. cool and they were blind, you know, and they were totally blind. As a matter of fact, you know, celebrities came from my school that was, you know, left straight out of school and became celebrities. So I knew cool blind people that read Braille. So it wasn't a thing of me thinking like, you know, Oh, this is not cool. Or this is not me. Yeah, you had, um, had, it
1: sounds like you had really great role models. And yeah. that's part of part of being a successful person is having the role models to help you develop yourself um, yes. and your, your, your self-respect and your self-confidence and how all those things. Yeah.
2: This one guy stood out to me and he used to always tease me. He was like, listen, you know, what's the difference with me and you, I can read a book at night in the dark and that, <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> that was so cool to me at that time. I was like, yeah, he could really read a book at night in the dark, for real.
1: And no one will know.
0: And yeah. No one
1: know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You know, when oh. when the lights, everybody got to go to sleep because I was in boarding school. Everybody got to go to sleep. He can really be reading a book, and while everybody else has to force sleep. You know, Very interesting. Cool yeah. dudes like those that you know introduce. I saw that Braille open a whole new world world to you, you know. And just growing up right now, like a lot of the words that we use, if you're not you know in touch with that or actually seeing it or feeling it, you're gonna lose your spelling. You know.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's right. You have to use it or lose it, right? Yes. So you, you know, know be, being in touch with the reading, mm-hmm. and no matter how you read. Or no matter how you interact with the the literary skills, keeping it a muscle just like everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Hey, hey Fitz, this is Peter. Um you talked about moving here from Jamaica. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like in Jamaica as a as a student? And when did you come over here? And uh, how were things different here in the United States than in Jamaica?
2: All right. So I went to school pretty young. Uh, pretty young i went to school around four years old on um, they sent me to boarding school they figured i had a vision problem and i went to a school that was run by nuns i think it was a um the salvation army i think it was called in jamaica and you know at that school i learned you know it, you leaving home at at such a young age you know standing on your own no matter how much you had you know you know people that would p- play your parents or dumb mothers that would play your parents you still had to learn how to survive amongst people that you did not grow up with or you did not even grow you know you don't know at all you don't know at all so you had to learn how to stand on your own and you know make independent decisions that was not driven by the the crew or the mass of the people that you know was around you you had to make decisions that you know was good for you um <laughs>
3: I have a question. This this is Mike. Were you a day student or were you a resident
2: of the school? I was a resident of the school. So hey, I, lived, I lived there um, and it's a little bit different than being a resident in the states because I stayed from say I, I went back in January. I was not leaving till it was time it was um it was it was saying um what, what was that what was the next holiday. I was not leaving like going home on the weekends. It was from holiday to holiday. I was not leaving. Okay. If i go going from January, I'm not leaving till Easter. Then from Easter, I'm not leaving till the summer. And then from summer, I'm not leaving till Christmas. So you're living on the campus. You know, parents may come and see you once in a while, but you're staying on campus. Okay. These people become your friends, your family. You see everybody grow up. Um, it was it was a co-head, but it was separated. The female doms was on the other side, you know, quite a distance away.
1: So, so Fitz, um, this is Annie. Was going back and forth um, from Jamaica to the States and back again, was there, was there an adjustment for you? Um, Was it, was it hard? Was it not hard? Was it just interested to know what that was like? I I don't think,
2: I don't, not hard. I could say it's not hard. It just takes, you know, paying attention and um, making friends. I'm like, I make friends easy. Like I'm you know I talk to people and i'm I'm the one that'll you know approach you I'll ask you you know whatever it is I know that we're gonna be here, so I'm the first one to make friends if if I know that all right, we're not leaving here till Easter. I'm the first one to make some friends, I'm not sitting here and beat a hardball even in whatever situation I am, even now you know being able to sell myself as a producer as a you know engineer, whatever it is I gotta sell myself in that predicament at the moment i'm gonna sell myself I'm not gonna wait you know.
1: Right. Yeah. It just sounds, you know, it sounds to me like when you're, you know, being a little kid and being expected to make those adult decisions, there's an advantage to that because it, it helps you develop a lot of independence um, yes. and a lot of self-reliance. But it also could be a little isolating. And And I think that you you compensated th- that with like being social and being out there and being the first one to say hello and all yep. of those things, you know, which... Which brought you here today, you know, and I think that's I think that's it's really cool to understand that um, all those things came together in a way to help you uh, be successful.
0: So,
2: yes, you know, my uncle had a band at, you know, at my house in Jamaica, so he would bring, you know, his friends, so. We were not shy. We, you know, have to talk to these guys, talk to these people. They'll come. They'll joke around with us. So we was already used to strangers, you know, and just being able to conversate and you know interact with others. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So is that where the music came into your life? Let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk yes. about about music yes. and how it how it came into your life.
2: That's exactly how my uh, my music career <laughs> started. <laughs> so my, All right. My, my uncle had you know. God rest his soul, he passed last year. Oh, uh,
0: sorry.
2: It's okay. <laughs> so he had a band at the house, right? Right. And whenever, whoever did not show up, I would try to play that instrument just, you know, just to be a part of the band. Um, oh,
1: wow. All right. So, so what'd you try? What was like the first thing you tried?
2: Well, I tried the guitar. I tried, you know, <laughs> every, everything that was there, but I'm only good at the drums and the keyboard.
1: okay well hey you did you you found out what you're good at you know that's cool that's really cool and they let you try i think that's awesome
2: yeah you know i I was was just i hope someone would not show up i hope the drummer won't show up the most (laughs) 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 the drummer won't show up the most so, you know, that's where I started, you know, doing my drum, doing my drumming a lot. I did most right. drumming there. When I went away to boarding school, I started mostly keyboards there at boarding school. Okay. A lot do you of- do you read braille music? I read music but not braille music. Okay. Uh, I read music but not braille music. I am I am in the process of learning. <laughs> it's going to be like in the next year or so. I'll get to that level. Right. Yeah, but I don't I mean, I read braille, but I don't read braille music. So, do you play? Do you play mostly by
1: ear, or
2: no? I um, I I still have some site that I can see it, like the the, the staff on on the CCTV.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, do you sing as well? Yeah,
2: but I don't do it as much <laughs> to be bragging about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, right. uh, about it. That's okay. Is that yeah. one of the skills I'm gonna be, you know, <laughs> putting out there? I can coach you into doing what you need to do, though, as far as like, you know, your background music and stuff. I mean, your background vocals and stuff like that.
1: Right. Yeah. So, so, so. Um. All right. So, music started, you know, you know, pretty informally, you know, with the band and everything and when did when did you know like inside that that's what you wanted to do ah
2: i couldn't remember you know standing on you know in jamaica they call it the veranda in yeah. america we call it the porch i remember yeah. was <laughs> standing i was standing on a porch and i just remember just like yo i love this i i and i remember telling my step my grandfather my step grandfather i guess it was at the time like listen ah uh, i'm gonna do this i'm gonna be famous in music i'm gonna be i just remember standing i remember i had like a white t-shirt on and i was standing there and i was like i'm gonna do this music thing
1: and how old were you i would say uh man probably around seven yes yeah, so you you had that that drive yeah. really young yeah mm-hmm. yeah
2: like i i always knew like i would do uh, other things not just music but I always, music is what I do. Like when I'm not doing anything, when I'm doing what I wanna do, you know, like I have a nice apartment and I'm always in my studio. Always in my studio.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm always in the studio. From the moment I wake up, I'm just heading towards the studio, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, yeah, uh, when we spoke originally before this, you you gave me a little a story about how you started your studio and what you did and how you got the work done. Could you share a little bit of that with yes. me again? I think that was pretty interesting.
2: So, mm-hmm. so you know, when you're starting up, like a studio would cost a lot of money, right? So. I don't, I didn't have a lot of money. I remember wanting to go to school at the time and couldn't afford jobs when it was like $10,000 when it first came yeah.
1: out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah.
2: I, you know, those was my days. So I'm like studio, you know, how am I going to do this? So I, I, you know, I took my friends, my friends. I had a lot of friends, you know, cause I, I always went outside. So we always was outside. We all, you know, I, I like cars. So I always had knowledge about cars. I could fix them, but I can't drive them. So, you know, guys, we're always together. So mm-hmm. I, took my, I took my friends, right? And I got all of them. I was like, you know, this is how I'm going to build my studio. I got the material. Um, I have one friend that he worked at Turner. So he was the manager. He, Turner Construction was one of the biggest construction companies at the time. So he's the one with the knowledge. He's going to tell us what to do. And that's how I, I did it. I got my friends together and we all, you know, took instructions from my friend that worked at Turner. And some of us was the first time they ever touched a school gun. Some the first time they ever touched the, you know.
0: Ah. hmm Yeah.
2: Up to this day, like we all now, you know, own property and every one of us, you know, can do our own tile, our own whatever it may be. We can do it just from that experience. So it just not didn't help me. It helped them also.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Do, do any of your friends from that time still help you out when you need it? Like yes. with projects and stuff. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah.
2: I'm, oh, man, I'm I'm big on my friends like I'm, I, you know, I'm being genuine, like, you know, so I still got all my friends. <laughs> we are all still here <laughs> all still with new ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Making connections, right? Yes, for sure. So talk about the technical part of your studio, like how that started how you got the training, what, what uh, equipment you use, that kind of stuff. I know a lot of us probably won't under, I mean, I know I won't understand the techie part, but, um, um, you know, once you talk about it anyway, <laughs> I,
2: I, I hear, um, the president, you know, asking about Ableton. So mm-hmm. I know he knows a little, or a lot. I can't assume what he knows, but he he's aware of, you know, the the DAWs. So, but before doors, I started out with Adats. Um, my cousin is a famous rapper. His name is Special Ed. I got it made. I got it made. I even got land in the sand of the West indeed. That's that's my cousin. Yeah. So,
1: oh okay, mm-hmm. ah, I
2: didn't know that. He blew he blew up in the '80s, um, yeah. early rap, early rap time, days. So I had the chance, you know, to be the fly on the wall with him just sit in the studio, you know, getting kicked out, you know, as the little cousin get out of here, go to the store, you know, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> so I learned a lot from just sitting there, you know, as far as like what you do in the studio, how you make a song. So when I, when I had to, you know, start putting together my studio, cause you know, it was not overnight. I purchased one thing this week, one thing next month, um, another thing, you know, it wasn't something that happened all at once. You, know?
1: you had to, you had to work towards each step, each
2: piece, yes, each piece. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, someone would ask me like, "How much it cost to build your studio?" And I'm like, "Oh, wow, I don't know, because it took so long. I forgot even pieces. <laughs> I huh. forgot pieces that I bought. But I started out with eight acts. Eight acts is a thing that looked like a videotape, and each each eight act would hold eight channels, meaning that you can right. Have eight different things going on at the same time. Yeah,
1: right.
2: And it back then it was standard to have at least two ADATs, 16 channels. So okay, I started out with, I started out with one ADAT, to be honest. <laughs> I was started out with one ADAT. Then I got another ADAT. This is when, you know, I started getting professional.
0: Right. Um,
2: I had a Tascam board, Tascam M37. This is, It didn't have the um, full meter bridge. Meter bridge is what shows you what um, you know, where every channel is hitting that on your meter. I got a vision problem, so I wasn't using that. So it, it wasn't much that I didn't have a full meter bridge. So once I had a, a my board and my ADATs, I had to get compressors. E- I had EQ in the board already, but I had to get compressors. Um, I had to get a reverb, uh, like a an effects machine. Okay. And, and, a, yeah. delay, and a delay. And after that, I started by just recording, you know, my friends, people that, wa- you know, my friends that wanted to be artists, I would record them and it just started spreading from word of mouth. Okay, you know, you can go, you can go to Fitz to go get your song recorded. And uh, when I first, when I really started making like funds out of it, I would, you know, take on a project for the whole night, like for instance, and I would, you know, only get probably $80 for the whole night. But I was. Oh,
1: my goodness. (laughs)
2: But but, you know, I was making money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. It didn't matter what you were making. You were making it. Right. (laughs) It's like the first dollar bill. You know, you got to crave it on your wall.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was making money, but it wasn't what I, you know, what I was worth or anything. But I wasn't really worth anything at the moment either because I was still learning, you know. Mm. So
1: how long would you say that? apprenticeship took before you finally said, okay, I'm good, I can do this myself?
2: Mm. I would say, uh, let's see, I'm trying to see at what point I I was like, you know, I could do this myself. Ah, (laughs) I I would say about a year where I was really comfortable to say, you know, I can do this myself. And that's not just recording, also, Mm -hmm. you know, making beats, you know, doing production where you can, you know, act Understanding sequences, you know, four one one four, all you know, all of that stuff, like really just understanding music all the way through. I would say about a year, and and that's after actually doing projects that made it to the radio. Because within my first year, you know, I was making, I was doing mixes that was making it to the radio, and you know, I was sitting down with my tape. I still have those on tape, you know. I just got dig them up. Where you know, the oh, like wow. first time. Your first time you was on somebody played something for you on the radio yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah you still was, djing you mentioned it and uh
2: i i more now teach people how to dj okay. yeah and,
1: and how many how much vinyl do you have this oh is cool God. how much vinyl oh,
2: uh, man, i got thousands Thousands. thousands thousands oh. thousands. <laughs> thousands thousands and i'm still collecting I'm th- I'm, I'm so thinking. you're
1: you're definitely a vinyl collector. I, I think that's awesome because uh, um, I think that's it's just part of history. Keeping the history yes. of, of, of music and production and, is great.
2: Oh, so. I'm, I'm I'm gonna look through four crates. Someone said they have four crates that I gotta come and look through and give them a price. Oh, uh, <laughs> so oh
1: okay. I'm
2: always on the hunt for vinyls. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Anything with music, like tapes, anything you know? I got old tape machine. I got old. My thing is to keep anything that at once made any sound.
1: So you have like an old reel-to-reel. Yes. And, oh yes. wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what about the old four-track cassette players? Uh,
2: I, I have those. I have a little portable one. A yeah. A getting a portable one.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. You remember the um
2: the uh, the house stereo that had the f- four-track? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my I god. I do.
1: I do. I used to I used to have an old eight-track machine in one of my cars because oh, wow. <laughs> I, I bought the eight-track and and a whole case of eight-track cassette tapes, like for thirty dollars at a, a yard sale once. And so we just we hooked it up into our car and we played like these eight-track tapes. We wow. were like, What are those? They're
0: eight-tracks. Oh,
1: I had uh, Dark Side of the Moon and Jay Giles Band, The Eagles, <laughs> you know, all those. They were fun. Yeah.
2: Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm big on the DJ systems, the loud stuff that really pound your, your chest. In. Yeah. 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 I'm big on those. I, I don't know. That just gives me a thrill setting that up. Sometimes the bigger part mm-hmm. of it is just setting it up and getting it going for the night. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so you instruct, um, upcoming DJs and yes. And, oh, wow. That's really cool. How long have you been doing that? That
2: I've been, it it wasn't like a set date that it started. It just, you know, someone would ask, you know, ask a question today. I'll help them. Um, I can say officially I've been doing it since like 2017, where I'm actually teaching DJs how to be DJs and even like, visually impaired um individuals also right yeah my my thing is you know to share what i learned you know because i learned you you're the best teacher once you learned it firsthand hands-on you know
1: right i mean again that's part of i mean if you can if you can instruct other people about what you learned that's that's just another piece of the uh of the life you know thing you know i uh You know, sometimes I think, well, I don't know if I could teach people about writing a poem. But then when I do take a take the time and take a chance at explaining it and and um, it ends up working out, okay, people say that I help them. So I'm like, okay, (laughs) you know, maybe, you know,
2: sometimes, you know, because, you know, you know, Fitz and Angepetta, we're so great. We expect, the, <laughs> <laughs> we expect the, you know, the message to be, you know, accepted everything, get everything right now be great like me. Yeah, but it, Just a little light, the glimpse, you know, a glimpse of light yeah. will lead them yeah. there, you know?
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, so
3: I am I'm really curious about a couple of things. First, you obviously went to school, right? You went to Lavelle and you went to school in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from your school experience that helped you uh, be successful in what you're currently doing?
2: Reading and writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, besides that, you know, just interacting with people and um, having a format to follow. Um, you know, time lap a time limit to to um, be on time. Like I'm, I'm trying to find the right word here. Like you know, you ha- you only got 45 minutes to do this project, so. You know, even when it comes to studio time, it's by the hour. So, you, you know, you only got two hours to do this. It's just right. like. You. So,
1: right, be organized um, yes. and have a, like, a, a deadline, meeting deadlines. And, yeah. Yes. And, yes. yeah, it's
2: perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Definitely. And, Go ahead.
3: And what about Lavelle's music program? How valuable was that for you?
2: Well, all right. With Mr. Facino, was it Mr. K? I don't want to pronounce his name right, but Mr. K. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mr. K. Mr. K. M- m- the music at Lavelle really helped me a lot because I'm pretty much doing a lot of the same things I, I learned there. It was not just directed, just as being a, a keyboarder, keyboardist, or just playing a keyboard, being a drummer. um You know, it was, you can do whatever, you know, strike your interest. It was a little bit of, podcasting it wasn't podcast but radio you know broadcasting it was a little Mm. bit of broadcasting it was a little bit of you can play the drums you you can play the organ you could play and i pretty much incorporate all of that right now in the same building i am i feel like my studio is an extension of the music room in school (laughs)
1: oh wow yeah Mm -hmm. big influence Mm -hmm. big positive influence that's wonderful yeah
2: yeah I even have the, you know how the glass, the the dance room was all glass on one side. I have that in my waiting area where I, you know, I let the artists perform in front of the glass the same way. I, it's, that's an extension. I took a little bit, you know, a little fanciness from the wood floors and the, you know, sliding and stuff <laughs> like that. But it's just one big extension of the music department. It's like now I, you know, I, I almost live in the music department now. <laughs>
3: So uh, what you, you said, you started uh, practicing in, in studios, uh, you know, learning, learning the business. Um, did that happen while you were still in school or, or uh, uh, after you graduated? How did you sort of slide in from school to work, if you will?
2: It was still while I was in high school. I would come home, you know, uh, I was going to Lavelle at the time. And at that time, it was not cool to take the bus. You know, I used to take the cheese bus. So, you know, I have to get up.
1: <laughs> we call it the short bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was not cool.
2: No. You know, when you when you were a cool hip hop kid, it's not cool to be jumping off the cheese bus. <laughs> so <laughs> I would I would have the driver, you know, I can't, you know, tell. I don't want him to get in trouble, but he would help out a cool kid. <laughs> right? So um I would get off the, the the bus. I was about to say the cheese bus. That's how you know I'm comfortable with that word. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'll go home, you know, let my parents know I'm home. And then I'll make my way to the studio. I'll call a cousin of mine or anyone that, you know, was driving or something. I'll make my way to the studio and I would stay there as late as I can and, you know, learn as much as I can. Sometimes I'm just there for hours, you know, you know, seeing someone trying to place a hook, you know, and over and over and over, just trying to move a chorus.
1: Mm. you watched artists struggle. And yes. and also as well as be as be a successful.
2: Yes. You know,
1: that's important.
3: So I, I imagine if you were in the studio a lot and you were still at school, were there times that you showed up at school, shall we say, sleep deprived?
2: <laughs> uh, I would sleep on the bus. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I would sleep on the bus, you know. I'll wake up like right as the you know the driver makes the right turn on 219 to go drive us at Lavelle. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I'll wake up right there. Funny. <laughs> and then, you know, because the bus picks me up at a certain time, I can't oversleep. So, you know,
1: mm.
2: it all worked out. Yeah. Up, yeah.
1: You know? <laughs>
3: Funny. So so when you so you so you you graduated from Lavelle, right? And right. Mm-hmm. Presumably, you, you dove more into the music business. So how did your life change when you were no longer a student?
2: When I was no longer a student, I was now the only, you know, person in my world with a visual impairment. Like, you know, I, it was no longer, uh, you know, anyone to share any kind of visual impairment anything with. It was just me now in a sighted world, and I had to make do.
1: And how did you do that, Fitz? i had to
2: make do you know i still i even went out of town at one point and we was packing trucks with my friends you know we, we tried any little like hard. I at one point i was doing moving jobs you know i'm a big guy i'm six one like 200 pounds and i have some vision where i can move around just doing moving jobs like anything hands-on um then i went on tour um, I don't know if y'all remember a song called "Heads High, Kill him with It Now," just make it. Uh, no, It was a reggae song. So that's one of our friends from Jamaica. He blew up at the time. I end up going on tour with him, right? As just the guy, you know, with the energy, the guy with the vibe, the, the dude that just want to be here, just want to learn. So I end up going on tour with him. I end up meeting a lot of the music industry. Everybody, I mean, from um, yeah. Jay Z, I met Jay Z. I met um genuine timberland i met you know the whole industry because it was you know tour we was going everywhere uh so this is where i really got the insight of seeing what's going on in the music world like okay all right someone gotta go go and collect the money before you know the artist comes to perform you see i saw i saw all the sides from the good to the bad you know Mm. and how to protect your artists to make sure that you know they don't get robbed they don't you know they don't end up on you know tv looking bad so i saw all (laughs) the the ins and the outs from it and i said to myself it's like all right i am gonna go and create my own i'm gonna go and create may
3: i jump in for a sec Mm. Uh, Sure. uh, this is mike but i'd like to know what kind of venues did you play when you were on tour? Did you play clubs? Did you play stadiums? Did, you know, what was the variety of, of uh, venues that you played?
2: It, yes, it was definitely a mixture. It was a mixture of um, you know clubs. It was um, arenas. It was definitely a mix. Like this is the first time I heard you know twenty thousand people scream. And I, that's, that is so, that sticks out so much. That's a powerful thing. I am telling you, Ann. Mm -hmm. I am, but you see, it's good when you're ready for it. I was not prepared for it the day it happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought I did something wrong. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm walking out on stage. This was in Boston. I'm walking on stage behind the same guy. His name is Mr. Vegas. Um, I'm walking out on stage behind him. So he's, you know, a good 10 feet ahead of me. The crowd gets a you know a sight of him and yeah. and go crazy. <laughs> I'm I'm like oh my god what I what I did what I did <laughs> I, I didn't move I started backing up. <laughs> uh, he went in he performed you know, but that was the first time actually you know being where the 20,000 20, scream is being directed at and that's the energy that you know it gets addictive. Mm. It's an, it's an energy that you, you get addicted to. So. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I've gone to, uh, I don't know, 80 or 90 rock shows, you know. <laughs> it's just uh, something, you, you know, that you it catches on and you feel it and it's uh, the adrenaline and it's amazing. Yeah.
2: And, you uh, know, like, it gives me such a good feeling to be able to be a part of the crowd and also be person that's creating this, you know?
3: Yeah. Did you encounter any other vision-impaired artists while you were traveling, like one of the members of uh, Black-Eyed Peas, or Black-Eyed Peas, I don't know what they call if it's plural, uh, I understand vision-impaired.
2: Um. That, that's the first time I'm hearing that. Now I'm going to be looking into oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time I'm hearing that. I did come across, like, rappers that was, you know, visually impaired. As a matter of fact, there's a rapper right now that I'm interested in working with that's from the New York Institute. Um,
1: oh, mm-hmm.
2: and, yeah? Yes. And, you know, because at one point, you know, I wanted to be a rapper also. I just felt like there wasn't, you know, the the help there or, you know, the person to, because, you know, the rap is a tough game. So, you know, you having a vision problem, you, you know. It's you're going to need some tough people with you, put it like that.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's a good segue into something I'm really curious about is about keeping the persona and keeping it in a way that attracts the rap industry and, and maybe some of the challenges or advantages of that. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: Definitely. So you do have to keep a persona. This is, you know, a persona business. It's a lot of flashiness. It's a lot of, you know, and if you're flashing and you're visually impaired, you can make yourself into a victim. So you got to think about stuff like that. Um, And
1: and so how do you protect yourself? Because, you know, you have to depend on the flash Mm -hmm. to be visible in the industry. But then also, you know, how do you keep safe?
2: So you you as a visually impaired person going to have to go a little bit harder and you're going to have to get the security before the person that would, you know, still can handle themselves or, you know, you can tie it in with your driver or something, but you're going to have to get some kind of security when it gets to s- at any kind of level where you're going to have to be out there with the flash, with the, the jewelry, with the, you're going to have to have some kind of protection because, you know, a robber, no matter what, if they see a blind person with a chain that can actually, you know, it's a come up, you know, they're going to take that chain. They're, they're not thinking about anything moral. It's about the come up. You know, so you have to get mm-hmm. yourself some kind of security, some kind of way to protect yourself, to make sure that you're making it back home safe, you know.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever been in situations where, you know, like, you were like, oh, oh, boy, I better, like.
2: Um. Yeah. I have, you know, been in situations where I was like, you know, oh, man, I'm not coming back out here without security, you know, where you mm-hmm. just you know, play the car real close or where I've been in situations where if it's not safe, I'm not, you know, putting on jewelry. I I have a watch. I have a, you know, whatever it may be, I come up to the to a thief. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I've i been times where I leave it in the car or put it in my bag or, you know, leave that part right. of it up where it's I'm not trying to pull that kind of attention.
1: So there's a lot of judgment calls you have to make um yes. depending on where you go and who you socialize mm-hmm. with and yeah okay and you know time and
2: place to, you know yeah what time am I going to be there you know and it also helps that I grew up in New York you know and it really was the kind of kid that was outside it, I wasn't you know in the house and just sheltered I really know what's going on in the neighborhood
1: you know so we call that street sense and street yeah. smarts. Yes. You have that instinct in you. Yes. You've developed that along the way. And that's another thing that leads you to your your success. So as a visually impaired person myself, um, you know, going through, you know, orientation and mobility, the first thing that, you know, one of the OMs ever said to me was, Don't ever go to a place where you don't feel safe. Exactly. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you know, I never thought of it in that context. You know, I'm a female, you know. Mm-hmm. so you know when you're growing up you get you get the talk don't go uh, you know go, don't go to places alone at night mm-hmm. always stay in groups you know don't get in that car with the stranger you know i've got that yeah. kind of stuff but i never got the when i got the visually impaired safety talk it was brought me to a whole different level mm-hmm. of being mindful yep so yeah.
2: and yeah it is like it's known like throughout brooklyn like Fits, you know, he got the studio. You you know, everyone thinks that
1: (laughs) your name on the street,
2: (laughs) yeah. It's like, you know, once once it's known, like, okay, and a lot of people don't even know that they may think, you know, something is off with his eyes a little bit, but they don't know Mm. the extent of my vision problem. So, even if if I go out by myself, I'm gonna get approached. I'm getting approached. I walk down my block, my own block, and you know, guys are waiting to talk to me. If I stand in front of my house for like 10 minutes, I'm going to get approached. That's how yeah. like popular I became.
1: Yeah, because you so, represent something important to those mm-hmm. people. And and that's what this is all about, about, you know, promoting yourselves, promoting Good. your business. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Who else helps you promote? Do you have a promoter? Do you have somebody, you know, uh, your right hand person, whoever that is, do you have Do you have that? Yes,
2: I do have. I have. I work with several people. I don't just, you know, try to do everything myself. I team up with people. I don't things that I can't handle. I team up with other companies like, all right. You know, one hand washes the other. If uh, Mm -hmm. say, for instance, a company, they can, um, you know, get do promo for me online promo, but they can't afford studio time. So we, you know, we bought her.
1: Okay. yeah. One way,
2: you know. Yeah, You just, you got to yeah. always just thinking about whatever you can't do. Just know someone else can do it and you have something they need and, you know, vice versa. Yeah. Uh,
1: why don't we change tactics a little bit? Talk about your artists. Talk about something about like, you know, how artists get to you, the struggles you've seen uh, artists have, you know, wanting to, you know, create their music. And I want to tell you, I listened to a track that was on your website with uh i don't remember what it was called but it had four different guys rapping and they would they would did like a little sample and then lead it to the next guy lead it to the next guy lead it to the next guy and yes. come back again i thought that was so good you know because they all had their own uh, their own flavor and their own voice and their own mm-hmm. accent and mm-hmm. it was just so well done so i just wanted to let you know that i did this
2: <laughs> but <laughs> um do.
1: so yeah talk about your artists like
2: so the first thing with me when it comes to artists you know it's good to have a timeline but if an artist says like yo if i if i don't make it in the next six months i'm over it i stay far away from you know artists that such as that because there's no timeline on telling when you know you're gonna get that run i have to know that you know this is what you do in order to be interested in you you know i've seen a lot of um just passion beat talent. So I have to know that this is really what you want to do. Even if you're the greatest at it, I don't want to invest my time. And then in six months, I have to start over again with someone else. So the first thing I look for in an artist is knowing that, you know, this is what I do. And I'm no matter what, this is what I do. Even if I was to have, you know, get a job, I'm going to use the money to push this. I'm going to use the money to push, you know, get things that tools that i may need to you know do my thing as an artist you know and if you're not willing to work for yourself as an artist i'm definitely not interested in you. like if i don't see that you're promoting yourself if i'm the only one that knows you're an artist it's no it's not good i'm not gonna be the only fan like you have to be promoting yourself like selling yourself knowing like all right this is what i do and i want people to know what i do because if if you're passionate about something everybody's going to know every time somebody sees you they're going to know like all right that's the singer that's the rapper that's the you know whatever it is that you do as a musician and another thing that i look for is if you tell me that you know i play the keyboard i play the drums and you don't own a drum set you don't own a keyboard even if it's a small toy you know i gotta see that you're interested in yourself before i take you on
1: Yeah. So, I mean, having a keyboard or having some kind of musical acumen, I guess, or instrument, Mm -hmm. other than your voice, that that sounds important, too.
2: Yes. But even even like vocalists, you know, they'll show up with their mic or their headphones, the stuff that they use in the book.
1: Yeah, that's their equipment. Sure.
2: You know, so it shows me that you take this serious, you know, it shows me that you, you know, you any person that's a vocalist, they're gonna have at least sung a song on YouTube, SoundCloud, at least one of these free platforms so that you know right. others can hear it. You know, right. That's one of the first things I ask an artist is like let me hear what you have done. Let me hear you know where to start from. Where you you know?
1: Right, that's like work- the resume, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let me yeah. let me hear what you have done.
1: Fitz, I may have
3: missed Heard something when I was looking at your material? Did I read that you there's the Christian component to your rap or your work?
2: No, I do work with churches as far as like recording, you know, their projects and stuff like that. I mean, I do have a Christian background, but I work with like Christian artists to get their project done, stuff like that.
3: So, so, yeah, I know there is something that is Christian rap, you know, that that focuses on Christian themes. How how is that? different if at all from the so-called secular rap scene
2: Ah, oh, that's a good one <laughs> the, the only thing is i see um you know with the christian rap scene there's a lot of support out the gate with the circular rap scene you have to really go you know really earn it really earn it
3: yeah but how does that support manifest itself in, in the christian rap scene as compared to the secular rap scene how how do you feel that support
2: the way i saw that support was in purchasing like you know before this everything turned to um mp3s i saw that where you know a rap artist would go to a a church sermon and you know he was able to sell his cds and you know people that you know that probably would not even listen to it would purchase it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm mm-hmm
3: So if I could uh, turn a, a quick corner, you have a lot of personas in the business, right? You produce, you're yes. an instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. Have you been out front as, a, as, as an artist?
2: Not as yet as the artists I have recorded, but I have not published any of my own stuff. as yet. Okay.
3: So you're primarily behind the scenes. Yes. Um, so, and that also included when you're on the road, right? When you were uh, uh, backing backing your acts. <laughs> um, yes. So... On the road, what did that look like? What did you? I know you said you learned a lot on the road, but what did you actually do day to day on the road when you were serving sort of the background, supporting your the, the person who who was out front?
2: So, you know, after you know, listening because I didn't play too much dominoes on a bus or anything like that. So, after listening to hours of dominoes and hours of jokes, you know, you pretty much when you get there, someone has to go up to the clerk at the hotel, and you know. Check what, where the rooms are at, get the keys, come back to the vehicle and we pack up all the bags. We go to the hotel, make sure the artist is, you know, the artist is checked in, whatever he, he or she needs they have. Then um, what time we got to get to the show? Are we collecting the money, the rest of the money before we go to the show or how are we collecting the money? You know, that's the major next thing before anything happens. Um, is the show tonight, do we have radio? Do we have to go promote, um, wardrobe? What time do we go on? Um, you know, what time do we have to get to there? Do we have to do sound check? Do we have to do, you know, it's just making sure everything is right. And I, I love that aspect of it. I really do. You know, I, I like to just make things happen. Make sure I solve problems. Like I'm a good problem solver.
0: Mm, yeah, I think,
2: I think that's one of my strongest, you know, Qualities,
3: and and that's what producers do, right? It's a special kind of problem solving. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree with that. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. it's a special kind. Yeah. Of problem. Have you been back to Jamaica since you graduated? Have you have you toured in
2: Jamaica? Um, I haven't toured Jamaica, but um, I've been back, you know, here and there, just on family business, here and there. You know, I still got friends down there. We're still a part of the community. Right.
3: And, and how is the? Uh, from what you can tell, how is the music scene different in Jamaica? that it is here in the United States.
2: Bigger venues. That's the major thing. You know, more people like Jamaica is the, the testing ground, you know, for even reggae music or anything. And I know reggae is from there, but reggae sells more out of the country than in Jamaica. Like they would say in order for you to be a true reggae artist, you would have to go back to Jamaica and get the attention of Jamaican fans first. Then the world will pay attention (laughs) to you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow. Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've 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 been in Jamaica a couple of times, and my sense is that most of the music you hear down there is 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 reggae, uh, yeah. inflected with different styles or under it or above it or whatever. But it's it's very much a, uh, from what I can figure out, a, a,
2: still very much a reggae country. Yeah, it's straight reggae. I yeah. know it's straight <laughs> reggae, it's straight reggae. But you know, we do listen to others, but everything based off reggae, one way or another.
1: Fitz, this is Annie. I have a question. Why haven't you released your work yet? What's holding you back?
2: Uh, 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 I don't know. Uh, That's a real question, because I've came across the times I've said that I'm going to release it. It just never happened. I'm always solving someone else's issues. so It's Mm. it's just, it wasn't anything like I'm putting it off or anything because I, you know, it got a lot. Of, I think my music will make you laugh. It's, you know, it's they comedy. It, yeah, it's comedy. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's not just, all right, I'm sad. I'm, you know, I'm heartbroken or something. It's, you know, it's also fun. Yeah. It's fun.
1: But when the time is right, I would love to hear it. We would probably all love to hear it. So.
2: You're going to laugh. I'm telling you, you're going to be off your chair. Because <laughs> I like to laugh. I like to laugh. I like to laugh. I like to, you know, the easygoing life. Yes.
1: Yeah. What else do you do besides music? What's, what is some of your other? I mean, do you like to go to movies? Do you like you say, do you like to go to comedy night and laugh? And, yes. I like,
2: I like comedies. Yeah. I like comedy yeah. night. Yes. <laughs> any, any kind of stand-up comedy, you can find me there. Uh, oh,
1: okay. Yeah, I know. I love it, too.
2: I love any kind of stand up comedy. I'm with it. Everything, uh, I'm kind of boring. I tie tie everything (laughs) back into music. I mean, that's, yeah. You're not
1: boring. You're just focused.
2: Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) I go out, we go to the clubs. We, you know, it's always fun. It's like my life is a big party. Every day is a party. Every day is a party. The studio life is a party life. Like you have to have control over yourself in order to maintain this life. That's true. You know?
1: Right. And you can choose to turn it off and, you know, or you Mm -hmm. can choose to walk back in.
2: Exactly. You know,
3: talking about control, the stereotype is that many rappers are heavily into drugs and sex and all that stuff. Uh, To the extent that that's true, how do you uh, work around or through those those issues? You know, I think that is also a matter of control. it, It would appear to me.
2: You have to have control. In anything that you become more popular in, you're going to have that attention like of the opposite sex. And I feel no matter where you get rich at, you know, drugs is going to be there. So you're you have to have that self-control, you know, and it helps coming from a background where my uncles and, you know, my family was not that they made sure that we would not you know, be hooked on any kind of drugs or anything like that. They went out of their way to show us the difference between.
1: Be responsible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Like um. I came up in, as you can tell, like in a church background, there's a church still in my grandmother's house. <laughs> mm-hmm. <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
3: know? Well,
1: I mean, that's good that, uh, you know, that we were talking before about all of the the, you know, the role models and the mm-hmm. support um yes. you know and developing and that's one you know knowing right from wrong and good and bad and all that It's so, all, yeah. you know and then when you're a producer i mean i mean have you ever had to say to any of your um artists like yo cut that out man like oh, but i won't course, tolerate oh, that
2: but of course <laughs> of yeah. course of course as many a times like oh man it's too early boy it's too early <laughs> <laughs> like, you know it's you, do you, you have gotta, do you
1: have like rules like when you come into my studio you must you must you know follow you know like some kind of well uh, you know as,
2: like as far as, to as be no, clean
1: or yeah you gotta
2: clean you gotta clean after yourself no smoking
0: no smoking no, right
2: yeah and okay you just gotta clean after yourself just it's, be it, it, and yeah and it's the equipment is not even thinking about the lungs is the equipment yeah the equipment yeah,
3: yeah. what would you advise a blind person who wants to follow in your footsteps what advice would you give them
2: my advice is utilize the people around you do not alienate people you cannot do it by yourself you know be of some worth so you, so you can be you know worth to others and others can be of worth to you that makes sense to me, yeah, me too. Is there anything else Andy? because I, uh, I think
1: yeah, yeah. Right. Fitz tell us how to get in touch with you And plug whatever you want to plug. Okay. The the last word.
2: (laughs) All right. So the artist I have out right now, his name is Ricky Ricardo. Um, You can find him on everything at Ricky Ricardo. He has a song out right now called Mona Lisa. That's -hmm. with him and Jim Jones, the famous Jim Jones from uh, Dipset. Um, All the hip hop heads would know what that is, Dipset. So check out Ricky Ricardo on everything. You can find me on willpower.com entertainment and on everything also facebook instagram willpower ent.com you can find my website willpowerent.com and fitz martin anywhere just google me fitz martin i'll guarantee i'll pop up all right that,
1: you th-
3: thank you fitz ENT, willpower yes ent okay. willpower right. ENT. awesome i just want to make sure i understood that mm-hmm. thank you very much for that
1: all right fitz thank you so much Um, definitely it was uh, fun it was it was a pleasure
2: i had fun doing this you know just even you know going back to the memories i had fun thanks a lot
3: we're we're delighted that you joined us and we hope to keep in touch with you yes indeed
0: art parlor is brought to you by friends in art and acb radio it airs beginning every saturday at 8 p.m on acb radio mainstream to listen and for a full schedule go to www.acbradio.org slash mainstream. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org and please feel free to check out our website at www.friendsinart.org Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month.